Today's scripture reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, gracious Father, we uh, thank you for your word this morning. Uh, Lord, as we seek to uh, sit under it and to receive it and to, uh, we pray by your spirit, have it applied to our lives. Uh, we pray that you give us ears to hear. We pray that you would remove all distractions from us. Uh, we pray that you would settle our hearts. Uh, we pray that you would sharpen our minds. Uh, we pray that you would help us to hear clearly that this is your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. Uh, and as you sit, uh, do keep your bulletins or your Bibles open to that reading there from Hebrews 11. Well, this morning uh, is the beginning of uh, Missions Emphasis Week here at Christ Church. Uh, we say... Uh, missions uh, Emphasis Week, because hopefully uh, every week is a week of missions. Uh, we want every week to be focused on uh, going out with the gospel to the very ends of the earth. But we think it's helpful to have a week in which we can place a little bit of extra emphasis upon missions in our lives and in the church. And so tonight, <clears throat> we're going to meet for prayer, uh, to pray specifically for global missions. We'll be really focused on uh, missions as we pray tonight. Uh, there'll be some prayer points that have already gone out. Uh, you may have seen the email, uh, seen the handouts, uh, encouraging you to pray for different countries uh, throughout the course of the week. Uh, and then, really, the, the culmination of our Missions Emphasis Week will be to have the, the stewards with us. And as Adam was praying, the stewards, Robert and Lisa Stewart, and their older children, William and Isabel, they are uh, some of the missionaries that we support in Japan and some of the work that they're doing here. So we're excited to have them with us Next weekend, in person, there's going to be a men's lunch on Friday with Robert. Uh, there's going to be a gathering on Saturday morning for the children with the stewards. On Sunday, Robert will be preaching, and then afterwards, he's going to be giving a presentation about their work there in Japan. Their work there is shifting, so uh, you'll want to come and hear about the new work that they're going to be doing in, in Japan. They're no longer going to be in Shinyuresu. They're going to be uh, down farther south. Uh, and that's going to take place after church next Sunday over lunch, so lunch will be provided 
And then uh, next Monday, a week Monday, there's going to be a lunch with Lisa Stewart, uh, all the women gathering with her. So uh, lots going on. Hope you'll put those things on your calendar and try to get out for as many of those things as you can. I hope it'll be encouraging for us as a church. And more so, I hope it'll be encouraging to them. Uh, We want to be an encouragement to them. That's what we want to do as a church. We want to love them and support them well as they go out to the very ends of the earth. Uh, I think I've shared with you before that um, I enjoy reading missionary biographies. Uh, Whenever I start to feel sort of uh, discouraged in ministry or uh, uh, sinful feelings of self-pity start to creep in, there's nothing like a good missionary biography to really reset my my expectations and my motivations for ministry. Uh, Because when you read through a good missionary biography, it's, it's, it's super inspiring. Right? When you read about the deep faith of some of those, those old missionaries, whether it be uh, William Carey or C.T. Studd or, or Hudson Taylor or, or so many others, and the way that their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ literally called them to give up their life, comfortable life, in this part of the world to go out to the very ends of the earth just simply to share the good news of Jesus, it's inspiring to read about that. Uh, there's something super inspiring about reading about the way that the faith of others compels them to do awesome things for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, the Bible takes a similar approach. Uh, The Bible has no problem holding up the faith of others and saying to us, hey, look at them. Do you see their faith? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Don't you want faith like that? The Bible takes that approach. And nowhere does it do that most fully and most clearly than right here in Hebrews chapter 11, which is where we are in our study of this great letter to the Hebrews. Today is going to be the beginning of uh, four weeks that we're going to take looking at just this this one wonderful chapter. Uh, This chapter, Hebrews 11, is often referred to as being the the Hall of Fame of Faith. Uh, The Hall of Fame. If you you like baseball, you go up to Cooperstown, like my son and I enjoy doing, and you see the the Hall of Fame of Baseball, and you walk through the halls, pictures on the wall. This is is Hebrews 11. That's what it is. It's all the the pictures of all those great saints of old who have had great faith in God. It's the Hall of Fame of Faith. And so I'm excited that we're going to be in it for a number of weeks, and and I hope it'll be inspiring for us. I hope it'll be encouraging for us as a church. Now, for this morning, we're just going to look at the first seven verses. And as we walk through these verses, here's what we're going to see this morning. Uh, We're going to see faith defined, that's verses 1 to 3. We'll then see three illustrations of faith in verses 4 to 7. And then we'll want to try and put all this together and think through how this kind of faith applies to our lives today. Okay, so faith defined, faith illustrated, and faith applied. Uh, Before we look at those three points, though, we actually need to first address the context of faith. In other words, we need to answer the question, why is this chapter even here? I think probably a lot of Christians know of Hebrews 11. Maybe, maybe Hebrews 11 is your favorite chapter of the Bible. And we, we tend to sort of think of it maybe sometimes as being a standalone chapter in the Bible. But of course it isn't. Right? It's part of this larger letter to the Hebrews. And so we need to consider how this chapter fits within the rest of this letter and thus why it is that we have here this long chapter on faith. Okay, so let's begin there. Let's put this teaching on faith in context. Because actually the end of chapter 10 provides the reasoning for what we have here in chapter 11. So if you have a Bible open, look at the end of chapter 10 in verse 36 where uh, this church was exhorted to not give up their faith in Jesus but to instead endure to the end 
and to do so no matter the persecution they might face. And so beginning at verse 36, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then he quotes Habakkuk chapter 2. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. There it is. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. As a part of the context for us understanding why chapter 11 is here, is because faith is absolutely vital if we're going to endure as disciples of Jesus and thus receive all of the great blessings and rewards that the Lord has for us in eternity. And so the, the significance of that context makes this teaching on faith in chapter 11 not just inspiring, but absolutely vital and necessary to our lives. If I want to receive the great reward that God has for me in Jesus, if I want to receive all that he's promised to me in Jesus, if I want to have my soul preserved and not destroyed, then I need to endure. But if I'm going to endure, what God's word is telling me here is I need to have faith. And therefore, it's vital I understand what faith is and then how that faith is dis displayed in a person's life. And so some of the questions that each of us need to ask ourselves as we work through this chapter are, do I have faith? Is this my faith? Uh, is, this, is this faith that I have, is this a faith that will last throughout my life, support me in death, and carry me safely to heaven? Because the context here is that faith is absolutely vital. Now, there's one other point to note in terms of the context here. Again, you can't isolate Hebrews 11 from the rest of this, this letter. And so when this chapter talks about faith, you have to make sure that you don't turn this teaching on faith into just some uh, generic form of faith. Right, because pe people mean all sorts of things by faith these days. Uh, so religious people in general are, are sometimes referred to as simply being people of faith. We hear of, we hear of communities of, of faith. And so there's a, there's a general sense out there of being a, a person of faith. But Hebrews 11 has a very specific kind of faith in mind. Uh, it's a faith that has at its core the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because remember, that's the theme of this whole letter. Now, the driving theme of this letter is the supremacy and glory of Jesus Christ. And so this letter, remember, it began by showing us how Jesus is the eternal God who has taken on human flesh. And then for months now, we've been focusing on the work of Jesus, and particularly his work as our, our great high priest who sacrificed himself for us on the cross for our sin so we could be cleansed of our sin. And thus we've seen that Jesus is the only one who makes it possible for us to draw near to God and have a relationship with God. And so again, the, this whole letter has been about the supremacy and glory of Jesus. And friends, that doesn't change when we come to chapter 11. Uh, the faith described here in this chapter has at its core the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, one way you could say that is that there is no real genuine faith apart from Jesus. And that's true of the people in the Old Testament as well. Their faith was ultimately a faith in the promises of God which would ultimately be fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, so that's the context. Faith is absolutely vital, and faith has at its core the person and work of Jesus. So with those uh, contextual pieces in place, let's look at how this chapter defines faith. Look at verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so that's, that's faith defined. Now, if we were going to do a fuller study of faith, there are, of course, other places in the Bible that we could, we could also look at. This verse doesn't tell us everything uh, that there is to know about faith, but it's, it's a clear, simple, helpful definition if we're going to endure as Christians and stay focused on Jesus. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, the parallel words of assurance and conviction tell us that genuine faith has a, has a certain kind of confidence to it, uh, and that the object of this confidence is on things hoped for and, and things not seen. In other words, uh, faith is being sure of things that, that we can't physically grasp with our hands, or, or that we can't uh, physically point to. Or if things that aren't quite yet full, present realities in this world, but we're, we're hoping for them, we're, we're waiting for them to come about. Okay, so notice the definition here isn't having faith in that which is unknown. Right? Sometimes people generally talk about faith. That it's having faith in, in something that's mysterious, and so, and so I can't know it, but, but I have faith. No, the definition here is not having faith in that which is unknown, but in that which is unseen. And in that which is not yet a present reality in my life, but which I'm hoping and waiting for. Okay, so again, true faith isn't some blind leap into the mysterious unknown. That's not faith. Rather, it's having assurance and conviction about things that I can't see and things that aren't yet fully realized in my life, but which I believe are absolutely true. For example, I can't see God. God is spirit. God can't be seen physically. And and even though God, the Son, took on human flesh and Jesus lived in this world as a man, he's no longer here physically. Uh, He will be again one day. He's going to return again in the flesh. But right now, he's not physically here, and so I can't see him. And yet, I have absolute assurance that he's real. I'm convicted of that to my core. And then as we consider some of the things that we're hoping for, that we don't yet have, but but are absolutely assured of, in Hebrews, the great hope is the hope of heaven. Where Jesus right now is and and where we will be physically one day. In the very throne room of the living God. In the new heavens and the new earth. We're hoping for that. We we have assurance that that one day is going to be a reality. And friends, the reason we have such assurance, the reason faith is marked by such conviction, is because we take God at his word. The Word of God, the Bible, is is the foundation for our faith. We believe the promises of God in His Word. And God's Word promises that those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will immediately and fully enjoy His presence from the very moment we die. And it promises us a resurrection body like Jesus' glorious body. 
And it promises us acquittal at the final judgment and a home in heaven and the full enjoying of God throughout eternity. And so precisely because we take God at his word, faith, therefore, is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. And the basis of our assurance is the very word of God. And so, friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you've always, you've always heard Christians talk about the need to have faith, maybe that's always sounded a little bit ambiguous to you, a little bit nebulous. Well, this is what we mean by faith. Uh, you, you can't see Jesus. You can't see the cross. But, but faith is, is to have assurance and conviction that Jesus really is the Son of God. And it's to be convicted of the truth that, that Jesus didn't just die, but that he died for you and for your sin. And though you can't see him, you, you can hear that truth proclaimed to you from the word of God. And so faith is to take God at his word and then to lean the whole weight of your life into those truths. That's faith. And Christian friends, that's the kind of faith that, that you and I need if we're to continue to endure as disciples of Jesus in this world. Right, listen, it's not wrong, and it's not arrogant to have assurance about the things that the Bible tells you are true. Right, that kind of conviction, that kind of confidence, isn't error or arrogance. It's faith. <laughs> it's what the Bible calls faith. Faith is having assurance, it's having conviction about these things. And in fact, the author of Hebrews here goes on in verses 2 and 3 to provide supporting evidence for why this definition of faith is so critical. Uh, one reason <clears throat> is because this is how God's people have always lived in relationship with God. Uh, verse 2, for by it the people of old received their commendation. In other words, the people of the Old Testament received God's favor and, and blessing and approval precisely because they had the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Why? Because they believed God and took him at his word. They trusted the promises that God made to them, and so God commended them for that. That's how the people of old entered into the story of God's grace to us in Jesus. They, they had faith, and God commended them for that faith. And then, even more foundationally, says the author of Hebrews in verse 3, he says, consider how it, how it is that we even believe in God at all. And why it is that we believe God is the one who created the world. Why do we believe that? Well, it's, it's by faith, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, perhaps you've heard the term creation ex nihilo, a creation out of nothing. Well, this is one of the, the key verses where we get that understanding of the world and how God created it. Uh, God didn't take some, some visible matter that already existed and then just kind of shape it and, and mold it into this universe that we now have. No, there, there's no material reality that's eternal. Only God is eternal. And so when God decided to create the world, he created it out of nothing. He merely spoke, 
And, and physical, material, visible matter came into existence and, and as he spoke it into existence. Again, notice the emphasis on the word of God. God creates by his word. He speaks, it's powerful, it's life-giving. And the author of Hebrews is saying to these, these Jewish Christians, think about this fundamental truth that we all believe. Because there have been no, no debate and no doubt among these, these, these Jewish Christian believers that, that God is the creator of this world. And so the author is saying, think about this fundamental truth that we all believe. God created the world out of nothing. But how do we know that? We weren't there. We didn't see him do this. We didn't even exist yet. Nothing did. And that's the point. So how do we know God created the world? And he's saying to them, well, friends, we, we know the only reason is because we have faith. We have faith that it's true. We take God at his word that he created this world and everything in it. And in fact, I think the author of Hebrews might also be saying to them when he makes this point about uh, that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. I think he's, he's sort of saying in part that it'd be foolish to put all of our hope into only that which we can see and touch. Because his point here is that, that the physical world that we can't see, that we can see, isn't that which is eternal and ultimate. That only God, who can't be seen, is eternal and ultimate. God existed before any of these things that we can now see because he created the world out of nothing. And so why would we base our lives and our understanding of ultimate realities only on that which we can see? Uh, rather, the, the very way that God created this world requires us not to live by sight, but to live by faith in his word. And thus faith is defined as being the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, all of that sets up the rest of this chapter. Because what the author of Hebrews does for the next 35 verses or so is to help illustrate for us the way that this kind of faith shapes a person's life. And to do that, he expands upon the truth of verse 2 by illustrating faith through the lives of God's people in the Old Testament. And so in, in the weeks ahead, as we study this chapter, we're going to see many examples of Old Testament saints who were commended by God because of their faith in God's promises in Jesus. Now this morning, we're just going to briefly look at three examples, uh, the faith of Abel, the faith of Enoch, and the faith of Noah. And again, as we, as we see faith illustrated here in the lives of these people of old, we want to consider the ways our own faith has shaped and should be shaping our lives as disciples of Jesus today. So the first illustration of faith here is that of Abel in verse 4. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Uh, if you've ever uh, read that account of uh, Cain and Abel uh, in Genesis 4, uh, perhaps you've wondered, why did God receive Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? And we're told that, that Cain brought an offering of fruit to the Lord, while Abel brought 
the firstborn of his flock to the Lord. So it's a difference of fruit and flock. Uh, and Genesis 4, though, simply tells us that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so if you're just reading that there in Genesis 4, which if you haven't done it in a while, I recommend you go back and do that today. Right? You might think, well, why? What's, what, what's the difference exactly? Why would God not receive Cain's offering? Well, Hebrews tells us why. The, the fundamental difference was faith. And so while it's not fully spelled out in Genesis 4, there, there was obviously something about the way that God prescribed and ordained how it was that he was to be worshipped that pointed Cain and Abel to the future and to the fulfillment of future promises. And Hebrews is telling us that Abel had faith in what God had said, and therefore it impacted the, the kind of offering that Abel brought to God, such that he didn't just bring some fruit from the harvest, but he brought the blood of an animal. He brought a, a living sacrifice that was killed as an offering to God. Now, think about all that we've been studying in the book of Hebrews for the last six weeks. Think about all the blood, all the sacrifices that the author of Hebrews has been stressing for us over the last six weeks. Remember that back in chapter 9, we were told that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And thus, without sacrificial blood, you can't come into the presence of God. And, it, and, it's, and it's that truth, that hope, which is reflected in the sacrifice that Abel brought to God. Because ultimately, you see, that offering that Abel made was actually looking forward to that which he couldn't yet see, which was the coming of Jesus and Jesus' sacrificial blood on the cross for our sin. And thus, the writer of Hebrews says that Abel acted out of faith. He had faith in God's promises. And so by faith, he was commended as righteous. He wasn't commended as righteous because he was a great person or because he did a lot of wonderful things. He was commended as righteous because he had faith in what God had told him. And so faith is illustrated here in the life of Abel in the way that he took God at his word when it came to the kind of worship and sacrifice that was pleasing to God. And because ultimately it was a faith that was looking forward to what he couldn't see, which was the final and perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's the whole context of Hebrews. And friends, don't you love this little note at the end of verse 4? That, that through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You know, Abel didn't get, get, didn't get to live a full life in this world. He was slain by his brother. But what a testimony he left. You ever wonder what people are going to say at your funeral? How they're going to take your whole life and summarize it in just a few minutes? When they're eulogizing you, what are they going to say? Are they going to have anything to say about your faith? Will the primary focus be on the way that you lived your life and the way that your faith gave a, a living testimony to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for you? Parents, why not leave your children a legacy of faith? For all of us, why not make it our aim to leave those who might eulogize us a wealth of material <laughs> that they can point to and say, this man, this woman, is a living example of faith. Though he died, he still speaks, testifying to the blood of Jesus in his life. 
Uh, the second way faith is illustrated here is in the life of Enoch. Now, this is an interesting one because we know basically nothing about Enoch in the Old Testament there. I mean, all we basically know from Genesis 5 is that he walked with God and that God spared him of death by simply taking Enoch up to be with himself. And so Hebrews here fills in at least some of the blanks for us. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So what was so special about Enoch? Well, at the time Enoch lived, very few people had any interest in pleasing God. Uh, but Enoch clearly was an exception. Uh, for Enoch, though he couldn't see God, uh, believing in God meant, meant walking with God and then talking with God and having a, having a living relationship with God. Uh, that's how much Enoch believed that God existed. God was ever present in his life, though he couldn't actually see God. God. God was right there with him. And not only that, but Enoch believed that God was good and gracious and generous. And, and thus that faith of Enoch's brought pleasure to God. It pleased God. And so God spared Enoch from death. And in doing so, he, he, he gave Enoch a foretaste of what all of us who believe in the, in the Lord Jesus will receive at the resurrection. Those who believe that God exists and that Jesus is the God who exists and that he eternally rewards those who seek him, they will live forever walking and talking in sweet fellowship and communion with God for eternity. And so the faith of Enoch is illustrated in the way that he truly lived in relationship with the living God whom he couldn't see. And then the third illustration of faith here is that of Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, I, sus I suspect most of you probably know the story of Noah. Uh, if not, you should definitely go back and, and read it. It fills most of Genesis 6 through 9. Uh, God told Noah that he was going to judge the world because of how sin was so rampant and, and affecting everyone and everything, and, and that he was going to judge the world through a massive flood, and that if Noah was to be saved, he needed to build an ark, and, and that, that that ark then would be the only means of salvation, and that, and that any living thing that was not on that ark when the rains came would be wiped away. Now, you have to think about what it would have been like for Noah to receive that word from God. Right? I mean, maybe if you lived in Florida, the idea of torrential rains coming down so much that there's going to be flooding, maybe it sounds a little bit more plausible, still, I think, unfathomable, but maybe it sounds a little bit more plausible, but Noah lived in the desert. And this is the word that God had given him. Can you imagine what all of Noah's neighbors thought about as Noah is building the ark? Blue skies, no clouds, sun shining, and there's Noah in the desert building an ark. No sign of rain anywhere, much less a terrible flood, 
And yet Noah believed what he could not see. And he sowed to God at his word that there he was, in the middle of the desert, building an ark for some future flood. And the author of Hebrews says that in doing that, Noah condemned the world. In the sense that as the people around him mocked and laughed at him, he, he just kept going on being obedient to God. And so it's like he was shining the light of righteousness upon all of the sin and disobedience of the world. And therefore, in doing so, he became, we're told, an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, which is faith ultimately in Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is, as Christians, we would say that he is the, the ark of our salvation. Because the same is true even today. Uh, to a watching world, it seems ludicrous to put all of our hope in a man who was crucified on a cross. It seems ludicrous to the world for us to say that there's no other means of salvation. That the only way to be rescued from God's judgment against sin is to grab hold of Jesus by faith. But you see, that's what the story of Noah and the flood and the ark illustrates for us. Noah had to simply take God at his word. He couldn't yet see the realities and the promises of which God spoke. But by faith, he believed them and thus lived his life accordingly, obeying God, trusting what God had said was true. So here we have three illustrations of that faith defined there in verse 1. And the context of this letter teaches us that this faith is vital if we're going to endure, and that this faith always has as its focus the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as we, we finish up this morning then, right, you and I, we need to make, make sure that we apply this to our lives. We need to be inspired by it. Uh, we need to be motivated by it. Uh, we should also engage in some self-examination because of it. Right, do I have faith? Do I trust God's word and what it says about who God is and what he's like? Specifically, do I have faith in Jesus as being the one who is the eternal God who died and rose again for my sins? Do I, do I have a real assurance of these things? Well, friends, you see, God's word here is trying to help us answer those kinds of questions. And so we can look to the faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah and see if there's anything resembling that kind of faith in our lives. For example, how does your faith impact your worship? And how it is that you, you try to approach God? Are you trying to worship God on your own terms? Or like Abel, are, are you doing that according to that which he has revealed? Have you renounced your own righteousness as a basis for why God should accept you? Are you trusting in the blood and sacrifice of Jesus alone? If so, that's faith. It's recognizing that I have nothing to offer God. I can bring nothing to him. My hands are empty. All I can do is cling to the sacrifice that he has given me. You can also discern whether or not you have faith by the way it impacts your fellowship with God. Do you have fellowship with God? It seems sort of simple the way that that example of Enoch is applied to us in verse 6. 
You know, just, just believe that God exists. It sounds simple. I think it's deceptively simple. Do you really believe that God exists? Do you live your life as if God exists? As if he's the creator of this world, who created the world out of nothing, who did so simply by speaking it into being. Do you really believe he exists? If so, does that manifest itself in the way that you, you walk and, and talk with God throughout your day? As if he's ever present, because he is, though you can't see him. And do you live your life trusting and hoping that though we don't always experience them in this world, that God has nothing but great rewards for you as you walk with him right into eternity? And friends, how does your faith impact your obedience to the gospel? And true faith in God and his promises in Jesus always leads to increased gospel obedience in our lives. I mean, can you imagine if Noah heard what God had told him about the flood and the ark and salvation? And if Noah said he believed it, but then just sat there and did nothing about it? I don't think we would have said that he's a man of faith. My faith is actively clinging to Jesus as my only sacrifice before God. Faith is actively clinging to Jesus as my only hope for a relationship with God. Faith is actively clinging to Jesus as my only means of salvation from the judgment against my sins. Are you a man and woman of faith? Friend, if so, hear hear God's word here, this wonderful word that's spoken over you this morning. God is pleased with those who have faith. God commends those who have faith in him. He finds delight in them. He takes pleasure in those who take him at his word and believe what he says, even though they can't see it. And even though the world may be laughing at them or worse, but God smiles on those who have, have this kind of faith. You know, at the beginning, I mentioned uh, the faith of missionaries and how inspiring their faith can be. That, for example, the famous missionary C.T. Studd once boldly declared, nail the colors to the mast, he said. That is the right thing to do, and therefore that is what we must do and do it now. What colors? The colors of Christ, the work he has given us to do, the evangelization of all the unevangelized. Christ wants not nibblers of the possible, but grabbers of the impossible. By faith in the omnipotence, fidelity, and wisdom of the Almighty Savior who gave the command. Is there a wall in our path? By our God, we will leap over it. Are there lions and scorpions in our way? We will trample them under our feet. Does a mountain bar our progress? Saying, be thou cast into the sea, we will march on. I mean, that kind of faith is inspiring, right? There's a wall there. We don't, nope, it doesn't matter. Mountain doesn't matter. But friends, actually, it's not just missionaries of whom this is true. It's you as well. As you put all of your hope in Jesus, as you trust God and you walk with him in your daily life, as you face trials and temptations and struggles and yet continue to press on. Listen, we can be examples of this kind of wonderful faith to each other. And so if you feel like your faith is really lacking right now, uh, maybe as you, you've heard faith 
defined and illustrated here. You're, you're wondering how this applies to you at all. Well, friends, we're, we're going to pray right now. So I encourage you to, to ask the Lord right now to give you and increase in you this faith that he commends. Why don't you bow your heads and pray on your own right now?